Again, we are in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23, a message I've entitled Jesus Nazarene, Jesus Nazarene, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. Please stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Thank you. you may be seated. When you read through the Bible, there's often difficult place names, city names. They're hard to pronounce. Uh, they've got all these extra letters in, and we, we don't know how to pronounce them. They're either Hebrew or Greek or something. And uh, the fact of the matter, today is easy. Nazareth. It's easy to read. It's easy to pronounce. It's no problem. But I heard a story about two Marylanders, people from Maryland. They were driving through Kentucky when they came into Louisville. And they began arguing how to pronounce the name. The one said it's Louisville, just like it's spelled. The other one said, no, it's a French name. It's Louisville. Well, they stopped for lunch, and as they approached the counter, they asked the cashier to settle their dispute. And so the one Marylander asked, how do you pronounce the name of this place? Please say the name very slowly and distinctly so we can know. And the cashier replies, Burger King. (laughs) That's for you, Jason. Jason works at Burger King. So let's look this morning at Jesus Nazarene. First of all, let's look at the history of Nazareth. The history of Nazareth. Do you know that Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament? And not only is it not mentioned in the Old Testament, it's not esteemed in the New Testament. Uh, Nobody in the New Testament cared about this place called Nazareth. In fact, let me show you here a passage, John 146, where Philip, one of the disciples, tells his brother, Nathaniel, who was also going to be one of the disciples, tells him, I found Jesus of Nazareth. Look what he says. And Nathaniel said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's what people thought about Nazareth in the New Testament. Can there anything good come from there? It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not esteemed in the New Testament. And yet Nazareth is where all the Christmas preliminaries took place. Now, you know how important Christmas is, not just because it might be your favorite holiday, but Christmas is when God became flesh, God became human and dwelt among us, and all the angels and the shepherds and all of that, so, so very important to our faith. And all of those preliminaries took place where? In Nazareth. For instance, Mary's Annunciation took place in Nazareth where the angel comes to Mary and says, by the way, you're going to bear the Christ child. You know where that happened? Nazareth. How about Joseph's instruction? You know, Joseph, once he found out Mary's going to have a baby that wasn't his, he's like, you know what? I think I need to move on. And an angel appears to Joseph and says, no, go ahead, follow through with the marriage. Where'd that take place? Nazareth. Even Caesar's taxation. Now, you know that Caesar, Augustus Caesar, he was the emperor of the entire known world at the time. And he, because he was prideful, he wanted to find out how many people he ruled over. He wanted to find out how much money he could extract from all of these people. And so he called for a census that would include a taxation of all the world. And Joseph found out about that taxation in Nazareth. Now, Joseph was from Nazareth, but he had been born in Bethlehem. And so that's why Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. They kept the birth records in the cities where people were born. And so Joseph would have to go back to Jerusalem, excuse me, go back to Bethlehem where his birth records were so that he could register and pay his tax. 
Without this decree from Caesar Augustus, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. Why? That's where Mary lived. That's where Joseph lived. Nazareth. And yet God used Caesar's decree to get Jesus to Bethlehem to be born. You see, God is sovereign over all people. Not just his own. God is sovereign over all people. And so God used the selfish desires of a pagan king who thought he himself was God to fulfill an 800-year-old prophecy. Here's the prophecy, Micah 5.2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth to me that is to be ruler in Israel. So hear me again. God used the selfish desires of a pagan king who thought he himself was God to fulfill this 800-year-old prophecy. Otherwise, Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem. He would have been born in Nazareth. But sometime after Jesus' birth, Joseph moves the family to Egypt. First of all, for protection from King Herod. If you know the whole Christmas story, you know that shortly after Jesus is born, uh, Herod says, you know what, we got to kill all the babies two years old and under because I understand there's a newborn king among them. And so he does so. And so Jesus, shortly after he's born, he is moved by Joseph with Mary to Egypt. But in doing so, this also fulfilled yet another prophecy. Look at Matthew 2.15. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now after their trip to Egypt, Joseph does not return his family to Bethlehem, but back to his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because Joseph is still afraid for Jesus. Because while King Herod is dead, King Herod's son Archelaus is now ruling, and maybe he's still on the warpath against Jesus. Secondly, though, Joseph acts under divine instruction from a dream. When God tells Joseph, don't go back to Bethlehem, go back to Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Not only all of that, but Nazareth is where Jesus announced his ministry. When Jesus goes into the public ministry, he announces it right in his hometown of Nazareth. Here it is in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And when he stands up to read, the scroll is open to Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. And Jesus reads that to his town folks there in Nazareth. And it says, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to set the captives free. And then Jesus rolls up the scroll. He sits down and he says to those people, This prophecy is about me. Well, you can imagine how proud his town folks must be. I mean, this is the boy that grew up in Nazareth, and now all of a sudden, there's prophecy about him. They were excited. No, they weren't. Turns out they wanted more than a message. They wanted miracles. And when Jesus said he was going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, they could not accept that God would save the Gentiles. And so they grabbed Jesus. They take him out to a high cliff there outside of Nazareth. And they try to throw him down to his death. Now Jesus in the scriptures is being recorded as being amazed only two times. I mean, after all, Jesus is God. So it's going to be hard to amaze God, right? 
But there are two times in the scriptures where Jesus is amazed, and this is one of them, where in his hometown of Nazareth, he says, I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy, and they try to kill him. Mark gives it to us in Mark 6.6. 6. It says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Only twice in the scriptures is Jesus amazed, one of which is at his hometown of Nazareth when they try to kill him for announcing to them his public ministry. So that's the history of Nazareth. But secondly, I want us to look at the prophecy of Nazareth. Joseph's obedient action sets up an unknown prophecy. Look back to our text today, verse 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. What is this prophecy? Where in the Old Testament is this prophecy? Well, remember, a Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Guess what? Neither is this prophecy. Now, Matthew does not quote a particular prophet like he does in other instances. Matthew just writes here that the prophets spoke this. So just take your prophet. Prophets were saying he would be called a Nazarene. But we don't have a particular chapter and verse to which we can go in the Old Testament and say, look, here's where it says what Matthew says it says. Regardless of what Matthew had in mind, Jesus would become known as Jesus of Nazareth. For instance, let me show you a few examples. The demons of that day, they certainly knew Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. This is Mark chapter 1 and verse 24. The demons say, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? The infirm, particularly a blind man. He finds out that Jesus is going by, but he doesn't just want any Jesus. Listen to verse 47 of Mark 10. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What about the Palm Sunday crowd? Just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday here at church. We're going to kind of reenact it in a small way. But what was the crowds, the Palm Sunday crowd, what were they shouting about Jesus? In Matthew 21 and verse 11, we read this. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. What about Peter's accusers? You know, after Jesus is arrested, he's put on trial. Peter has followed uh, behind and he's out by the fire warming himself. And people start to notice that he looks familiar and that maybe he had been with Jesus. Look what they say, his accusers, in Matthew 26 and verse 71. And when he had was gone out onto the porch, another girl saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. What about Pilate? Pilate was the governor of Judea. And when he admitted, or when he, when he allowed for Jesus to be crucified, he said, I want to put a sign on that cross. Look what he says, And Pilate wrote a tile, and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You read the very next verse, verse 20, it says that he had that written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Why? So that every literate person in the known world could read it. That every literate person in the known world at that time would know that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed. We don't have it around here, but other churches on their artwork, they might have a cross, and then they'll have this little banner, I-N-R-I. Do you see that above Jesus' head there? I-N-R-I. 
Uh, that's just Latin abbreviations for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So if you never knew what that meant, now you know. Perhaps the most important announcement concerning Jesus of Nazareth was made on that first Easter Sunday morning. The women come to the tomb. They're going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And, of course, when they get there to the tomb, his body isn't there because he's risen. But look what happens in verse 6 of Mark 16. And the angel said unto them, Be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. How about Peter? After Jesus is resurrected, after Jesus is ascended into heaven, the apostles go about to preaching and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter is no exception. He begins to preach. And listen to what he preaches or about whom he preaches in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. And then later on, Peter not only had a preaching ministry, he had a healing ministry. And people would come to Peter, or Peter would pass by folks. And by the grace of God, he'd be able to heal them. Notice in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, there's a lame man. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This may surprise you. But Jesus himself referred to himself as Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, it's at Paul's conversion, the Apostle Paul. When Paul is on the road to Damascus, he's going to capture Christians and throw them in jail. But he meets Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, along the way. And as Paul is sharing his testimony here in Acts chapter 22 and verse 8, Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And so regardless of what Matthew had in mind in verse 23 there, that the prophets would say he's a Nazarene, Jesus became known as Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, by the way, let me bring this to our day and time. There is a current denomination known as the Church of the Nazarene. You ever heard of that? The Church of the Nazarene? Uh, they're not some fringe thing. I mean, there's one down in Indian Head. There's two up in Waldorf. There's 2.5 million members of the Church of the Nazarene. And they are somewhat similar to Baptist beliefs, with one big exception. They do not believe in eternal security. They do not believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. While the Church of the Nazarene doesn't believe and teach eternal security, ironically, Jesus the Nazarene did teach eternal security. Look what Jesus says here in John 10, beginning in verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You can listen to the church of the Nazarene, or you can listen to the Nazarene, Jesus Christ. But let me get back on topic. This town of Nazareth, this unknown, unesteemed town becomes the place of Jesus' formative years. Again, not mentioned in the Old Testament, not esteemed in the New Testament, yet this town becomes the place of Jesus' formative years. Now, Jesus is God, but Jesus is also completely human. And as a human, Jesus was influenced by his parents. 
He was influenced by his friends. He was influenced by his synagogue. He was influenced by the townsfolk. And hear me on this. Jesus became all that he is because of his acquaintances in Nazareth. Let me say that again. Jesus became all that he is because of his acquaintances in Nazareth. What would it be like to have an influence on Jesus, the Savior of the world? Can you imagine? This kid in your town grows up to be the Messiah, to die for the sins of the world, and you, because you had interactions with him, maybe you were his parents, maybe you were his brother or sister, maybe he was the, you know, you went to synagogue with him, whatever the case was, you had influence on him. What must that be like? Well, we will never have an influence on him like they did, but we do have an influence on others. We have a positive influence on others, we can have a negative influence on others. Now, primarily, we want to influence others to receive and follow Christ. But we can have many other positive effects on them as well. You men can show how to be a husband or how to be a good father. You women can show how to be a good wife or a good mother. You children can show how to be good brothers and sisters. All of us can show others how to be good friends. Think of who influenced you. You are who you are today because of influences on your life. Who influenced you? Maybe I shouldn't use the past tense. Maybe I should ask, who is influencing you now? And is it a positive influence? It might be a person you see day to day. It might be somebody on TV. It might be somebody on the radio. You are being influenced. I am being influenced. We must be careful of who is influencing us and how they are influencing us. Let me turn it around. Who are you influencing? And how are you influencing them? So it is true that we are all influenced by some people on the outside. But then we are also to be influencers too. Who are you influencing and how are you influencing them? Remember, Jesus became all that he was because of the influences of Nazareth. How are you influencing your children? There's that old saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You never know when you're raising those children who they're going to become, what they're going to be. They may be world leaders. They may be finding scientists that find the cure for cancer. You don't know. You say, well, I don't have any children. But some of you, while you don't have your own children, you're influencing someone else's children. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're an Awana leader, if you're an upward soccer coach or referee, you're influencing other people's children. See, You don't have to have your own biological children to be influencing children. So who are you influencing and how are you influencing them? Your children, your friends, your church family, your community. You know, today, social media influencers are very important. There's all these influencers out there. They get paid a lot of money to influence on social media. Well, you may or may not be a social media influencer. You're a personal influencer. The people that you personally interact with day in, day out... Inside your house, inside your work, at school, wherever it is, you're an influence. 
make sure you're a positive influence. And most importantly, make sure more than anything else you are influencing others to receive and follow Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so we've seen the history of Nazareth. We've seen the prophecy of Nazareth. Lastly, I want us to look at the Savior of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the one whose resurrection we celebrate on Easter and every Sunday morning. Again, let me show you this verse again from Mark 16 and verse 6. The women come to the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. They're looking for a dead body. Instead, they find an angel, and he said to them, Be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Did you know that's why we formally worship on Sundays? Now, we have Bible studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays and prayer meeting on Wednesday and other times along the way. But the reason we formally gather to worship on Sundays, as do all genuine Christian churches, is we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Christianity was heavily influenced by Judaism, the doctrine of the Messiah, the Old Testament scriptures, the synagogue service format. If you were to go to a synagogue service, it would be very much like coming to a Christian church service. But unlike our Jewish friends, we gather on Sundays to celebrate and to commemorate Jesus' resurrection. But why is Jesus known as Jesus of Nazareth? Oh yeah, I know he grew up there, but why do we know him and why does the scripture so much call him Jesus of Nazareth? Well, Jesus, that would be his Greek name. His Hebrew name was Joshua. That was a very popular name in his day. Why? Well, first of all, Joshua was an Israelite hero. You know Joshua and the the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. That's the same Joshua. Or Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. That was part of it. He was an Israelite hero. A lot of people named their kids Joshua or Jesus in Greek. Not only that, Joshua means God saves. And what a great name to give to your kid, especially when you're waiting for the Messiah to be born. And you could just feel it. It's coming soon. And so let's name him God Saves, Joshua. But the reason Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth is this would distinguish him from all the other Jesuses. There were Jesuses everywhere in that day and time. But there was only one Jesus of Nazareth. I think it's interesting, too, that God uses an unknown, unesteemed city for Jesus' earthly title. His earthly title was Jesus of Nazareth. But remember, Nazareth is unknown, basically. Nazareth is unesteemed, and yet God chooses this unknown place, unesteemed place, for the earthly title of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. He might as well be called Jesus of Nowheresville. But God takes nothing and makes it something. And this is a parable of what God does for each and every one of us. We are nothing and we are nobodies, just sinners. Now, you might think you're really important. You might have an important job. You might think you're really wealthy. You've got all kinds of money. You might be an influencer. You've got all these social media likes and all that. You think you're really, really important. Let me break it to you. You are nothing. You are nobody but a sinner in God's eyes. You know what I am? I'm a nothing, and I'm a nobody. I'm just a sinner in God's eyes. And yet, God saves us from our sins and makes us his children. He takes us from sinners to sons. 
He takes us from chopped liver to children. He takes us from ragamuffins to royalty. Isn't that amazing? God takes nobodies and nothings and he makes us his children. He took a town in Nazareth, Nowheresville. Nobody cared about Nazareth. Nobody ever heard of it in the Old Testament. Nobody liked it in the New Testament. And now he exalts that place name, Nazareth, to being the very earthly title of his son, Jesus of Nazareth. My friends, there were many Jesuses then, and there are many Jesuses today. But there's only one Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth alone can save you. If you want to be forgiven, you want to go to heaven, you want to have eternal life, there's only one who can give it to you. Not Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. You say, well, how do I become forgiven? How do I get eternal life? How can I have the assurance of heaven? You invite Jesus of Nazareth to come into your heart. Just like what was on the top of his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You invite Jesus of Nazareth to come into your heart. You believe he died on the cross to pay for your sins. That he was buried for your sins. And the third day he rose again from the dead. And when you truly receive him and truly believe him as your Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, he will forgive you of your sins. He'll grant you eternal life. You will guaranteed spend eternity in heaven with him. Not just some Jesus out there. Some any old Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Make sure you got the right Jesus. And so today we looked at the history of Nazareth. Not mentioned in the Old Testament. Not esteemed in the New Testament. And yet that's where all the Christmas preliminaries took place. Nazareth. How important. That's also where Jesus announced his public ministry. Oh, I know. They tried to kill him. But that is where he announced, not only to his hometown, but to the world. I'm starting a ministry. I am the fulfillment of prophecy. And then we looked at the prophecy of Nazareth. We don't know what Matthew was specifically talking about. Go home today. Study it. Have at it. But the prophets were saying he would be called a Nazarene. And indeed, we read the New Testament. That's how Jesus was known. Jesus of Nazareth. And thirdly, we see the Savior of Nazareth. It is Jesus of Nazareth. We celebrate his resurrection every Sunday and also Easter Sunday. And Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth separates him from all the other Jesuses out there. There's only one Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only one who can save you. And he will. By grace through faith in him. And so the invitation today, receive Jesus of Nazareth as your personal Savior. Believe that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. And if you receive Jesus of Nazareth as your Savior, live every moment of every day for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. You've challenged us. We do influence others. May we have a godly, positive influence. And others influence us. And where it's godly and positive, we're grateful. 
where it's negative and ungodly, give us wisdom, courage, and power to shut it out. Lord, save those who are lost. And may we all serve you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we pray.